Thank you for listening to the Giving Light Podcast. We are a family church and world outreach center. Our heart is to empower you to walk in true freedom and equip you to impact your world. Please visit our website at givinglight.org to learn more about us and our many resources, including original music by Grave Music, e-courses for leaders, tools for raising powerful kids, and more. If you would like to support Giving Light financially, visit our Give Online page to choose the best giving method for you. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy this message. Well, I'm so excited to be here. And um, as you know, I'm staying home and caring for my mom a, a lot in these days and in this season. And uh, But today with Tracy ministry, uh, ministering, Stephen stayed home because he knew I wanted to be here. And so what an honor. Tracy, why don't you come up a while? Uh, I could say a lot of things how Tracy has built the kingdom and has been so faithful to God for so many years. How long has it been, Tracy? I was trying to I was talking to somebody early. How long has it been? We've known each other since 94. 94 or 5. Oh, getting close to 30 years. And we're only 35. How, did, how does that happen? I don't know. And, uh, but in all the things of the Lord, you know, I've just seen her walk in faithfulness. But what I want to do today as I introduce Tracy is talk about the woman. Because it's not just our competencies, but it's our character. And when our character aligns with heaven, then we are positioned for the kingdom of God to be established in our life. We also recognize when the character of Christ is there, we have found a person we can trust. We found one that is loyal. We found one that loves much. We found someone that forgives quickly. We found someone that serves unreservedly. And this is Tracy. And she just doesn't preach, she practices what she preaches. And in fact, most of her preaching is through her practice, as she is a living epistle read of all men from the marketplace arena, arena to ministry arena to friendship arena. And I love and I honor her. Thank you. Amen. I'm proud of you. I, I didn't ask her to do that. <laughs> I just merely wanted her to introduce me because um, now I'm going to share quickly about Dr. Melody. If it wasn't for Dr. Melody, I would probably not be standing here. So God, and she started this out, it's not, it's like, Dr. Melody, don't cause me to cry here, but um, the church that I was in and I was associate pastor of uh, fell. And it's a very long story, and it was an ugly story. And um, it came back um, on me, even in the prophetic and, and Dr. Melody. Um, in other words, it's, it's a long story. I don't want to get into it. But bottom line is Dr. Melody took me under her wings, and she brought me up here, and she continued to push me into areas I didn't want to go because I actually was so hurt from what happened in our church. God actually had me prophesy to a person, and he was my mentor, he was my leader, and, um, and it came back that, uh, you know, he, 
I, I don't know how to put it, but bottom line is I didn't want to prophesy anymore. I didn't want to sing. I didn't want to. I never sang. I didn't want to dance anymore. <laughs> Listen to me. That's God's going to start working on me and singing. I guess I didn't want to dance. I didn't want to preach. I didn't want to do any of those things. That was my life for a long time. But Dr. Melody would not let me sit in the back. She pulled me up. I was so mad at her. She would pull me up and say, Tracy, prophesy to this person, or can you come up and dance, or I want you to minister, and she would not let me go. And so this woman is a woman of great character. I've seen what she's done for, for thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And so I owe, thank you, Jesus, for bringing this woman and her husband into my life because she is a friend. She is a mentor. She's my pastor but she is just an awesome woman of God. So I want to thank um, Katie. I want to thank the church. I want to thank Dr. Melanie and Pastor Steve for allowing me to have this, this time. It has been seven years, my friends, since I have, since I have ministered. Seven years. <laughs> I thought, wow, that went fast. But I was in full-time ministry at one time, and I don't want to take up a whole lot of time with this, but I do want you to, to know, because most of you are... are um, probably don't know this story about me, but I uh, was in full-time ministry for a long time. Prior to that, uh, I went to Hollywood to try to, to make it and, and uh, was a professional dancer and into acting and modeling and things like that. But God, <laughs> thank you, Jesus, God would not let me stay there. And he, he, he saved me. He saved me. He saved me from that place. And now that we know everything that's happening in Hollywood, thank you, Jesus. He saved my soul. He brought me back here. And um, then I started using my, my talents and my giftings for him. And again, it's a long story, maybe another time. Uh, Dave and Heather always say uh, that I could write a book. And, um, and so I started in full-time ministry, and I would travel. And she is the one that helped me. Dr. Melody is the one that helped me get into full-time ministry. And that's the other thing. It was nostalgia because Dr. Melody and I would minister a lot together and go different places, even in Africa. And um, so, so basically, uh, then the Lord took me into full-time market ministry. And I have been in the corporate world for a very long time, um, and, but I've seen how God has used that in my life. He's never, uh, he's never put me in a place that he hasn't used and hasn't built me. So understand that, folks. No matter where you go, no matter where you are, even if you don't like being there, even if you don't think that it's for you and, and you feel that it's, it's robbing your time, God never, ever robs your time. He will use it in everything. So with that, um, now I come back and I am able to minister. So thank you. It is such an honor to be here. And I, I think I have a timely message. Um, <laughs> dear Katie um, and Pastor Joel know that uh, part of my ministry was always intimacy. It's intimacy with God and intimacy with one another. And um, I was praying about what to minister. And the Lord said, we're going to go a little different route. Intimacy is in it because it weaves through everything, and I do have it in it. But basically, what the title is going to be, what the title is, is who are you, and what are you holding in your hands? And so, um, first of all, I want to I want to thank you guys for coming. I have some. I have uh, a youth. Um, I have a youth of uh, young ladies that are in a Bible uh, study class of mine. That, we, that the Lord had me start, and they came with their parents. And I actually asked them to come and asked them to bring their parents because, you know what, I want to thank their parents because they don't know me. They don't know me from anything, and they've allowed 
their children to come. So evidently they heard God, and they allowed their children to come and for me to sow into it. So I want to thank you for that. But I invited them to come so they could hear my heart and hear how God uh, hopefully works through me. And um, so let's open up in prayer. Father, I just thank you, Lord Jesus, for all that you're doing in this house. I thank you for what you're doing in the body of Christ. Father, I just thank you that you never leave us nor forsake us. You never waste our time, and you are always teaching us. Father, you're always leading us. You're always walking with us. And God, even when we fall, you don't move ahead. You stop, you reach down, and you pull us up, back up to your level, Lord God to partner with us and to work with us. So, Father, we just thank you today, Lord God, as I minister, I ask you to minister through me. Father, anything that is of me and not of you, I ask that it falls to the ground. But, Father, anything that is you, Father, let it pierce the hearts. Father, let it transform. Father, let us not walk out of here the same way we came in. But, God, to hear your message from kingdom, from your kingdom, Father God, to propel us forward into what you have for us in the days ahead. Thank you, Jesus, in Jesus' mighty name. So I want to talk to you today about, as you know, the world has been, um, it's been challenging lately. And it doesn't, um, it looks like the dark is getting darker, doesn't it? And there's chaos, and there's hatred, and there's all the things, and selfishness is all the things that the word said was going to happen. But there's also something that's even greater, and that is, it's getting lighter. And God's starting to raise up his people to a new standard. He's raising up his people to take down the darkness. But many of his people, including myself in some ways, have been back in the shadows. And they've been sitting on the shelf. And they've been saying, oh God, <laughs> I don't have what it takes. And many of us have believed lies. Some subtle, some big. But let me just talk to you about how God wants us to know who we are. Because once we know who we are, and I'm, going to and I'm going to transition this hopefully through the teaching, and Dr. Melody always says I wing it, um, I prepared three days of notes. Whether I use them or not, I don't know, but uh, it's just the way I do. I'm, I'm really, it's very hard for me to get stuck on, on notes, but I will try. Because I have, I have Hebrew words. I have Hebrew words, yeah. For those people that are the, you know. So most people believe lies about themselves, and they come from different places, okay? So I'm going to give you some even for myself, but using myself as an illustration. How many of you know that family can set us up for lies about ourselves? They don't mean to, but you know the siblings, right? Uh, I used to say, um, first of all, I want to, um, my I, I was, let me back up here. I was going to say, this is a perfect day that Dr. Melody is here and, and some of my friends are here, but my mama is missing from being here and she wanted to be here very much. She said she'll listen to this later, but right now um, she's not in a position where she can be, but she will be soon. Do I have an amen from that? So God is bringing total healing and so that, that's going to that's gonna make it all better, but she prayed for me this morning. Um, so families, how many of you know, my sister used to say to me that I had a ski slope nose, like a, a, and many of you who know Bob Hope, you say, you have a ski slope, slope nose like Bob Hope. And so all my life, I was conscious of my nose. I used to tell her she looked like a monkey, so I'm sure she was conscious of that all her life, or we used to tell her she was adopted. So we're all cruel, right? It's not, 
It's not that my sister was bad. We just all do that. Am I right? Siblings do that, right? And so, um, but, but basically, we have people in our past, even our parents, you know, and, and our parents are not perfect. Sometimes parents have said things. Uh, I know Pastor Steve uses that example of his parents. Um, you know, you're not going to be able to do this, or you can't do this, or whatever. Um, and, and those things get stuck inside of us. And then we have our inner voice, our own self. You know, we just, sometimes the enemy stands back and says, you know, I don't have to do a darn thing because you're doing a really great job yourself and you're doing it for me. And then we have our peers. How many, how many have been hurt by peers? I mean, you've had a very close friend and they've hurt you. They've literally, it felt like they stabbed you in the back. That is painful. And sometimes the lies come back to say, it must have been me. It must have been something I've done, right? So then you have the school system. How many of you know the school system really kind of can, can uh, trip you up on that? And everything is rated about whether you get A's or B's or where you're at. Now, suppose you're a kinetic learner. Suppose you're one that has to move, but in, in class you have to sit still. So does that make you stupid? Do you understand the whole process is that it's not fair? When I was young, I was, in, um, I was sexually abused as a child. And um, so how many of you know that affected me? Nobody knew what was happening, but it affected me. And so my IQ, they said, dropped. Now, my doctor said, there is no way a person's IQ can drop. There's no way. So how many of you know the enemy was at work? He was at work. So what did they do? They put me in a special class at school, a special class to help me learn. Well, I was teaching in that class, um, and I was helping, and... um, And they wanted to put me back in the class the following year. And the one godly, she was a a woman of God. She came to my mom and she said to my mom, Nancy, why did you sign her up for that class again? Mom said, because leadership told me that she was supposed to be in there. The superintendent told me that. And she said, Nancy, she does not belong in there. Let her come under my wing. And she said, I will take her in. Well, guess what? Within a short period of time, I was getting A's and B's. Now, I'm telling you that for for a reason. Most of my life, and you can attest this, I felt stupid. No matter what I did, no matter what I... I felt stupid. I felt like I could never arrive or be something that I was supposed to be. Well, recently, and I'm trying to make this go quick, but recently, uh, well, a few years ago... I had to take my broker's exam. I had to go through broker's class. And I don't know if any of you know and, uh, <laughs> to be a broker. It's, it's, uh, it's intense. And I was doing a full-time job doing this. I had, to do, you know, I had to do all kinds of things that just were beyond my comfort zone. And I walked up to the, to the um, teacher after I had the test, and I gave her the test. And she looked at me, and she said, and she, ju- she graded my paper. I got an A. I couldn't believe it. It was an investment real estate investment, I got an A, and she looked at me and she said, I told you you were smart. And you know, as soon as she said that, something broke inside me. But do you know that it was 40 years, probably around, well, oh wait, we're 38. So it was probably 10 years (laughs) that I carried that around and felt stupid all my life. Why? Because People told me that, or at least made me believe that, and that was it. What did the enemy do? He kept it inside me all that time to hold against me. 
The other thing is um, society. Society tells you what you should wear. It tells you what you should do, how you should look. If you don't look like this model that's on the, uh, on the billboards, then there's something wrong with you. you are, that is so wrong, and I'm going to show you how it's wrong, okay, as, as, as it comes, as, as we roll forward. Um, so you need, how do you, so how, what do you need to dress? What does someone in Paris, you know, these people in Paris come up with these stupid looking clothes and we would never wear them any other time, but then all of a sudden they are so cool. This is the end thing. Why? Because man says so. Now, you know what my saying is? The girls know what my saying is. One time we were laughing because uh, I had a pair of loafers on and um, since I danced, I had done some damage, which I'm believing God for in my feet, and now I can't wear heels a whole lot, but I had these loafers on, and uh, one of my friends, their daughter says to me, I said, so how do you like my new loafers? And the daughter says to me, "Uh, oh, well, they look pretty good for loafers. And so I looked at her and I said, do you not know that it is not the clothes that make the person cool? It is the person in the clothes that make the clothes cool. Now, my friend, if we can say that about everything, we set the precedent as how people see us. How people view us is how we view ourselves. Do you understand that? If I walk in and I'm just timid, girls, what do I tell you to do? Whenever they are in a Bible study, they would go like this to me. They would say, you know, they have a question. I said, we're going to start out by doing this now. When you have a question, and it sets a precedent, I am someone, and I have value, and I have something to say, right? So because society wants to push us down. So basically, um, the lies of the enemy, and, and all this is wrapped up into the lies of the enemy. We tend to listen to all the outside voices, but we neglect to listen to the one who knows us best. We don't listen to him. We listen to everyone and everything else. Right? And it says the outside voices are so loud that it's hard to miss them. And the inside voice, the voice of the Father, is often the silent, small, still voice. Why is it, why is it so still, small voice? Why is God always the small, still voice and not the loud? Why is he not saying, Daniel? Why does he say, Daniel? Why? Let me ask you something. If you are close and intimate with someone, do you scream in their face? If you do, it's not so intimate anymore, is it? It's now become a fight. If you want to hear someone that's really close, you lean in to hear the whisper, right? God wants us close. He wants us so close we can feel his breath. He wants us so close that none of the other voices matter. He wants us so close that it's just him and you. He's saying, son, just just put your eyes on me. Listen to me. Dismiss everything else. Just listen to me. So the value of uniqueness of who we are is not a mistake. I want to go to a very famous, uh, a lot of people know this, this scripture, and I love it. It's Jeremiah 1.5. It says, before, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. 
Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Now, how many of you know that this was for Jeremiah, but do you know that everything in the Bible you can claim? Because what God does for one, he does for all, right? And so in Jeremiah, he said, before I formed you. Now, I want you to think about the word. I want to go to the word formed. It's yastar in Hebrew, and it means squeeze into shape, press into distress. And you're thinking, boy, that doesn't sound good. Like a potter would create pottery. Now, before I go on with that, I, want, I, I, I looked up pottery. I thought this was interesting because God uses pottery a lot. And I, I've never made anything in pottery. I don't know about you guys, but I've never done it. So I looked it up, and I thought this was quite interesting. This is just mere directions for pottery. It says, um, it says, to make the object of pottery instructions is what it is. Are you setting out to make a functional or non-functional piece of ceramic? Isn't that interesting? So right away, God has to determine, are you going to be functional or unfunctional? I don't know about you, but I've never seen anything that God has made that's unfunctional. Right? He makes no junk. So we already know the answer to that one. Then it says, imagine the purpose, size, shape, and color of the object you wish to make. So already, God has determined your size, your shape, your color, Everything about you. So what the world is saying really doesn't matter because God has already determined to make you the way he has created you, right? So now are you going to go back and say, boy, he really screwed up on that. All of us can point out things that are bad about ourselves or, you know, we can all do that. All of us can. But you know what's really interesting? I've met some people in my life that I look at them and I think, wow, how intelligent, how creative. Just, they are amazing, great personality, and they don't know it. And they're insecure. And they say every time they get up to speak, they're insecure, or every time they do this or do that, they're insecure. They meet people, they're insecure. I'm looking at them going, wow, where should I be if you're insecure? How many of you have met people like that? I want you to go home and look in the mirror because it's the same thing. We are lied to, my friends. We are lied to. Every single day of our lives, we are lied to. Now, what we need to believe for is to know and understand the truth of the matter so that we can move on to the greatest purpose that God has for us. I'm going to get ahead of myself, so I'm going to stop there. So the process, I want to talk to you about how many of you felt like you've been squeezed, pressed, and shaped? How many of you felt like that, especially lately? Have you felt like that? Okay. Now, I'm going to say this, and maybe some of you guys go, I've already heard that. How many of you have heard how diamonds are made? Pressure, right? Greatest value ever, pressure. How many of you know how oysters are made? Anybody? Anybody have an irritant in their life? <laughs> Do you know that, I'm going to tell for the, any of those who don't know, an oyster is made because there is a piece of dirt or irritant inside the oyster's mouth. 
I guess it's a mouth. I don't know. It's this shell. And, and so it just irritates it until it puts, it, it actually creates a film around that irritant, and that becomes a pearl, again, of great value. So formed, we already got that. So now to know or knew, I knew you, is called yada in the Hebrew, to know as a close friend. This is also used as a husband knows his wife in the Bible. So we're talking about, and I won't get into great intimacy, but intimacy is not sex. That's what the world has lined up. As soon as I say, what is intimacy? People think right away, sex. Sex is a byproduct of a husband and wife together in a union. That is the expression of intimacy, but it's not total intimacy. Intimacy is into me, you see. Into me, you see. You know everything about me. So to know, intimacy makes, make, or marked by a warm friendship developed through long association of a very personal and private nature, marked by very close association, contact, or familiarity, belonging to or characterizing one's deep nature. So what I'm sharing with you is God knew you. He knew everything about you. He loved it. He loved it. He loves you, wants to be with you. He knew all those things and still set you out there. Can you believe that? He still set you out there, meaning he knew what he was doing. So set apart means sanctified. Kadash in the Hebrew is to a point. Pretty good, huh? I'm good. Yeah, to a point, consecrate, I always do, she's funny, a point, consecrate, dedicate, to keep holy, to prepare, proclaim, purify, sanctify. These are things that he already did. Do you know this is already in you when he made you? He set you apart, sanctified you, purified you. Now, think about that. If he already did those things, that means the enemy has to come in to try to lie to you, to tell you you are not those things. And my, my friends, may I tell you something? No matter what you do, no matter what you do in life, I don't care how awful it is, do you know you can still be cleaned back up again? It's just a matter of washing. Just a quick washing. It does not indent your DNA. It does not destroy your DNA. It does not change your DNA. No matter what you've done, it does not change you. It goes back to the very beginning. He already made you that way. Are you following me? No matter what you've done, it doesn't change. You just go to him and say, Daddy, I got dirty. Can you wash me off? Run to the Father. Ask him to wash you off. You following me? There's nothing we can do to turn away his love or to change who we are. <laughs> I love this Webster's Dictionary. It says to set apart, consecrate, free from sin, purity, to give moral or social sanctions to. Run to the Father. Isn't that cool? Run to the Father. He's already provided that sanction. Appointed or ordained means natham, means in, in Hebrew, is to observe or consecrate, again, dedicate, holy, to prepare, proclaim, purify, sanctify. The Webster's Dictionary for appointed is chosen for a particular job, officially fixed or set, provided with complete and unusual appropriate, 
or elegant furnishings and equipment. Ordained means invested to establish by decree or law and, and, and uh, destined or foreordained. Now, I don't know about you. For those that needed that, that was exhilarating. But for me, that was boring. Uh, <laughs> I was just setting the, setting the precedent. Um, so, Ill <laughs> so basically, I want to tell you something that the Lord, one time I was um, ministering at... Uh, um, I was ministering at our school. Um, I'm sorry, I'm trying to think and do so, ITC. And uh, the Lord gave me an illustration of what God does in heaven when you are, when you are born. And, it, and I'll tell you, there was such an anointing in when I did it. And I'm saying, God, I just ask that you bring that revelation back again because I put it in my notes. <laughs> so, so it was really, I don't know if you remember this, Danielle, but... Um, for instance, faith. When you were born, the Lord, and, and I, want, I want you to hear this, so basically it is, if faith's gone, oh my gosh, don't, don't point me out, don't point me out, so you don't have to look at her. But before you were formed, he knew you. So in my mind, we all come from our mothers in the natural. But where does our spirit come from? I don't know that the you know, and you can correct me if I'm wrong with this, but this is what I this is what I, I sense from the Lord, or what I feel I do. I'm just I'm throwing this out here. I have been wrong before. So but his spirit, our spirit has to come from somewhere. So if we have his likeness and his DNA, wouldn't you say that we're birthed physically from our mother and our father, but our spiritual DNA comes from him? Would you not agree? So this is what I saw when he gave me this vision is he stands before all of heaven and he calls them in and he said, this is a glorious day. And he takes and he bursts out of himself, the spirit, and he holds it in his hand. And he says to heaven, look, I want to show you my daughter faith. Look at her. I want to show you what's going to happen in years to come. And he throws the spirit out into the middle and it starts materializing as it does. It just projects her whole life from A to Z. And he says, look at this. Do you see what she's going to do? Do you see what she's going to go through? Do you see what the enemy is going to try to do to her? I'm holding all of you accountable for my daughter. I want you to fight for her. I'm assigning you and you and you and you and you and I want you to surround her and I don't want one hair in her head touched. Do you follow me? Do you understand me? This is my direction. And as he does, and all of the, all of the angels are standing there looking, going, oh my word, is she beautiful? And they see what's going to happen. And then he takes and he says, this is a sad day for me, but yet a glorious day. The sad day is I have to depart from her and throw her into this world. But the glorious day is that my spirit will always be with her. So he knows the trials and tribulations that we will go through. He knows those things, and it grieves his heart that we have to go through them, but he knows in order to grow and to build, we must go through them. So when he does that, we are then birthed into our parents, into our mother, and we become a living being. 
in this world, we now take on our earth suit. So what we don't realize is now we become a heavenly ninja for God. We become a secret service agent for the kingdom of God. Nobody knows who we are. Sometimes not even I, not even we know who we are. And God's saying, I want you to know who you are. So I want to talk to you now about the power of human beings walking as believers. So Adam and Eve, um, in the beginning, uh, when they walked with God, they walked like this. There was perfect unity. I can't do it with the mic in my hand, but it was perfect unity. And everywhere that God was, they were. Everywhere they were, God was. It was as if they were one. It was perfect. There was no sickness. There was no sin. There was no depression. There was no anxiety. There was no fighting. There was no nakedness. And then they sinned. And you know the story, and that's not the part that I want to go because that's a whole story on itself. But what happened is when they heard the sound of God, after they sinned, they heard, it says they heard the sound of God, the Lord God walking in the garden the cool of the day. To hear that, they heard, the heard means obedient, attentive. So any other time they were attentive, they were listening. Have you ever had someone that you really want to listen to and you're listening to ever with bated breath every single thing they say? Because it's like a nugget. It's like everything they say is like, wow. That's what I picture Adam and Eve. They were so attentive to God. But this day there was something different. The cool of the day meant breath or spirit. Can you imagine being, being so close to God you can feel his breath? His whole breath just surrounds you. His spirit surrounds you. But what happened was there was something different that happened. That day they hid. They hid from him. God has been looking for a way to bring us back from the very beginning. And he knows that way. He found that way. That way is Jesus. Jesus is the one that although heaven and earth just went like this, now put your hand in between. Now like this, up. This is the cross. So the cross now, sorry for the camera, the cross now is, is the thing that, that connects the two, heaven and earth now. Before they were like this, sin separated, now the cross came and brought it together. So my friends, we have the same ability as Adam and Eve to live in such unity, to sit with bated breath, to listen to every word God has to say to us, to speak to us, to know that there is no sickness, no, that there's no anxiety, there's no depression, there's no, do you know that we call heaven down to earth? It says the kingdom is near. Do you know that the kingdom in near is right here? And quantum physics, if anybody knows about quantum physics, we could be meshed with the same realm where God and all the people before us. It says that the cloud of witnesses surround us. It doesn't mean they're up in heaven looking down. It says they surround us. Do you know that a loved one that was very close to you could be right here watching? We just have no connection with them right now. But isn't that interesting? 
So the weapons of intimacy, God longs for that intimacy. He longs for you to know him and for him to know you. He already knows you, so he's one step ahead of you. But now he longs for you to know him the same. Intimacy is both, and this is from John Crowder of the New Mystics. I don't know if you've ever read that book. It's really good. But he says, intimacy is both the key to revelation and its goal. If we understand the heart of God and his nature, we will better understand the details of his unfolding plan for the last days for you, for you. God's purpose has been to restore man into that right relationship with him. He will not cease until mankind is again walking with him like Adam did in the garden. I don't know about you, but I want to walk with God like Adam did in the garden. That dude lived for a very long time, and I don't think he was sick. Do you understand what I mean? This is like the enemy has lied and deceived to us to make us feel like we need to accept certain things. For instance, sickness, and we do not. Or bondage, we do not. Now, I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to squeeze seven years into to right now, so forgive me if it's choppy. I'm trying to follow my notes, and I'm trying to... So, so what, my friends? This is what I want to talk to you next. I want to show you two stories in the Bible that God has really impressed in me to tell you what is in your hands. So I just talked to you about who you are. And you are exactly who God made you. Now, to challenge who you are means to challenge God. If you say, I am nothing, you are saying God is nothing. If you say, I don't have it, you're saying God doesn't have it. So I want you to think, the next time you look in the mirror, before you start saying, oh, you don't look good today, I want you to stop and I want you to say, wow. Don't you look sharp today? Are we ready to take over the world today? Are we ready to take it back for God? Are we ready to thump the enemy? Are we ready? Because we got it and we can do it. All right? I want you to do that. The next time you look in the mirror, I want you to smile, and I want you to speak truths about yourself. And if you go, well, I'm not sure what those truths are, they're right here. By the way, I brought my old Bible just for, for nostalgia's sake. And so if it falls apart, just, just bear with me and keep going. So now I want to talk to you about Jesus with the multitudes, feeding the multitudes. Okay? This I find is very interesting. So Jesus, the story, I'm going to line this up. So Jesus just found out that John, his cousin John, was beheaded. And he was beheaded because of Jesus. Now, how would you feel if someone you loved, someone you were related to, they were cousins, was murdered because of you and what you're doing? Would you give up or would you push on? So Jesus comes into, uh, into the land, um, into this area, and there's crowds of people that come. Now, this guy, he, you know, you think he's mourning. Let, the, let him alone. He would just want to go off by himself, but he doesn't. He doesn't. He puts himself aside and he looks at all the people that need healed and delivered and he says he has great compassion for them. So he calls them in, he heals them, he's talking to them, he teaches them. 
And now the Bible says there are 5,000. But it says 5,000 men. This is not including the children and the women. Women back then were probably a little less valuable than animals. <laughs> it's true. And that's how it was in Africa when we were, I mean, children, remember, they, they couldn't come up for, for, uh, for ministry. Um, that's just the way the culture is. So women and children were not significant, so they weren't on this call, on this roll call. So can you imagine if there's 5,000 men, there's probably almost at least 5,000 women, and then there's probably, you can do the math. So with that being said, the disciples said to Jesus, Jesus, you know, it's getting late. These guys are going to start fainting because they haven't had anything to eat all day. We need to send them into town to be able to get supplies so they can go eat and we can rest. Bless their hearts. <laughs> Jesus looked at them and he said, no, no. Now, how many times have we tried to send someone to the world for help? How many times have we gone to the world for help when Jesus is saying, no, no? What did he say to him? What do you have? What's in your hands? And they went, all as we have, Jesus, is these two fish and five loaves of bread. Jesus didn't go, oh, man, we're really in trouble. He didn't say that, did he? What did he say? Bring them to me. Bring me what little you have. Bring them to me. What is in your hands? How little is it? How insignificant do you feel it is? Bring it to him. He takes it. He lifts it up. And he gives it to the Father. And he says, Father, I ask you to bless this. Commit it to you. And literally what he did is he took what was the matter in this natural realm and he turned it and converted it into spiritual realm, which then turned around and came back into this realm. Again, quantum physics. He went from one realm to the next and it multiplied. Not only was it enough to feed everyone, it was more than enough. It was overabundantly enough. How many times does God tell you, I will give you overly and abundantly all that you ask and imagine? He said, I will give you. I will take the little that you have. I'm asking you, what do you have? What is a talent? What is a skill? What is a, a thought? What is a dream? What is a, and then take it. And give it to God. Don't go, oh my word, I have such little, and put it in your pocket. God's saying, bring it to me. Trust me. Do you understand what I can do in the midst of little? (laughs) The other thing I want to talk to you about Well, let me go back to this. Jesus had an ability to connect with a father that nobody else ever had. The Pharisees didn't understand it because the Pharisees were all the time giving demands to people, telling them what all they have to do 
in order to achieve something. Do you know, I think it was Bill Johnson that said this, um, Christianity is the only religion, and I hate calling it a religion, but for sake of that, the only religion that does not require you to have to achieve, be something, do something, or achieve some kind of higher power or being. Are you following me? It is the only religion that says, it's not you. It's all God. It's you believing that he is. And what he did. Do you realize the pressure that takes off of us? But yet, how many of us keep that? How many of us are still trying to live like the other religions? We have to be good enough. We have to do enough. We have to be something. Do you know you just screw up one time and you're done for it? So why look to self? Go to God. He's perfect. He says that we, when Jesus said, I don't do anything that I don't see the Father do, and I don't say anything that I don't hear the Father say. He was, he had this phone connection with God. He, well, I shouldn't say that. Let's use, he has the FaceTime with God. He was like FaceTiming God all the time. And if he said, hey, God, you see it behind there? I need that ear right there. Can you, can you send that ear to me? Because I have to heal this person's ear. Whatever he saw, he grabbed from that and made it into, into the material, into in matter, into matter. That was tangible matter. Do you know that we have the same ability? Hebrews 4, 6 says, draw near with timid. To be timid? Did, timidity? Did, did it say that? Fear? Does it say draw? No. Draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Do you think Jesus was doing that? He's saying, God, hey, Father, I need some help here. And he went confidently. Do you know we have the same? Jesus said, when I go, I am sending the Spirit and you will have be able to do greater things than me. Now, some people would say that's hypocrisy. Some people would say that's a lie. That's Jesus. Jesus said, you will be able to do greater things than me. Yeah. Oh, my word. The guy walked on water. He multiplied food. He walked through walls. He, he healed the sick, raised the dead. My friends, why are we not doing that? Yet. Why are we not doing that yet? We need to figure out what's in our hands. We need to figure out who we are. And those things will follow. Moses, Moses was, <laughs> I'm going I'm to try to condense this story because it's really interesting. Moses was a very interesting character. Moses, when he was a baby, when he was born, he was born as an Israelite. You know the story. Um, the, the Pharaoh was going to kill all the firstborn because uh, the slaves were getting so many. The Israelites were multiplying. Why? Because God said to Abraham, I'm going to multiply your seed. And so he was doing that. Now it became fearful because they put him into slave, slavery. They weren't supposed to be in slavery. They should have been afraid. But God said, you know, so what, what happened is he, he was, they were fearful, so they start killing some of them off. So what did, um, what did the mother do? Moses, any good mother, right? Took the baby, put him in a basket. And let's think about this. She had to have strong faith and hear from God. Because how many of you know that the Nile is filled with 
crocodiles and alligators or whichever one, I'm not sure which one, but they would be uh, chomp, chomp. That would have been an hors d'oeuvre for them, right? This poor little baby. But evidently she had faith and maybe prayed over it. I don't know, but she sent it out. And the Pharaoh's daughter saw the baby. She wasn't going to be stupid enough to go down. So she sent her servant. So if her servant gets eaten, she says, go down and get that basket. So she went down and got it, and you know the story. But what happens is Moses had the DNA of an Israelite, so he always carried it in him. So when he became an Egyptian, he was trained in royalty. It was like the royal family over in England. He was trained to do all the right things. He was trained in speech. He was trained in in, uh, etiquette. He was trained in how to lead. He was trained in, um, you know, all the finer things in life. He was trained. Now, um, I think this was Ramsey was the son of the pharaoh, but he was, I think, Ramsey too or something. I don't know. And um, he was supposed to probably be the next in line, but Moses could have been the next in line for that, Right? So as you as you know, what happens is he kills one of the uh, one of the um, guards because they were being abusive, and I'm not I'm going to go fast because it's not the story I want. So he then goes in exile because he runs. Couldn't always completely understand that, but he goes into the wilderness. How many of you felt like you've been in the wilderness? Moses went into the wilderness doing what he thought he should have done was right in the beginning. How many of you started out feeling something was right and then ended up in the wilderness? Right? So Moses is out in the wilderness for 40 years. I'm going to share something with you. You know what the enemy wants? He wants you to be isolated. This whole thing that has just happened recently That is a whole strategy to be isolated. Close down the churches. Be by yourself. Isolation. That's what the enemy wants. So when Moses was in isolation, he lost all confidence. I know I've talked to some young people and said, you know, I just really feel intimidated since I've been away from everybody. That's the plan. So God's, when he was there, he he felt intimidated. So when God comes, now I want you to think about this, guys. Think about Egypt. Egypt is very demonic. They didn't worship God. They didn't worship the one true God. They had many gods. They had idols. They had sacrifice. They had all kinds of stuff. They were evil. This is how Moses was raised. So he didn't know God. He didn't know, he didn't know Jehovah. He didn't know who he was. And then all of a sudden he comes to him in a bush, a burning bush. Whoa, dude. So what does God say to Moses? Moses, this is the part I want you to hear. Moses, I want you to go do this. And Moses is like, what? He said, Moses, what is in your hand? Well, it's a rod. It's a staff. Moses. Now, this is a rod and staff that Moses used every day just to herd sheep. Every day. Just had it. It was an old piece of wood he probably carved. God said, Moses, I want you to throw it down. He threw it down, and it turned into a snake, right? God says to him, Moses, pick it up by its tail. Moses said, dude, I know this is a trick because I was trained. I mean, think about it. Moses was trained as a warrior. He knew he was in the, in the terrain there. He knew that snakes, you never pick up a snake by its tail. It's going to come back around to bite you, right? He said, Moses, listen to me. Pick it up by its tail. 
I just picture Moses going, oh, this is not going to end well. He grabs and he listens to him. He's obedient. He picks it up and it turns into a staff. The very thing that Moses had in his hand that he used every day and saw insignificant, actually even disposable, he could probably make another one if it broke, was the very thing that parted the Red Sea, led the Israelites out of captivity. It's the very thing that God used. He said, Moses, what is in your hand? And then Moses says, I can't talk, God. Don't send me. Again, he was trained and equipped to be a leader. Now all of a sudden he can't talk. How many of you feel insecure? Oh, God, I can't talk. Really? I can hear God saying, really, Moses? Is that what you got? Is that what you're going to give me? Guess what? God ended up using someone else to talk for Moses, but it was never the best. It was the second best. Do you know that if you don't do what God called you to do and made you to do, second best has to come in, and it will never be the same. Never be good enough. I have one last story to tell you. How many of you have seen Narnia, the movie Narnia? Oh, that many. <laughs> so, no? 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 You have? Okay. So, in Narnia, when I watched this, now C.S. Lewis was a believer, and I, to my understanding, he used to send these stories over to his son in wartime to encourage his son and to give him messages. When I watched that for the first time, I went, wow, how true is this? Do you know that those kids came from a very ugly time? It was wartime. It was a very downtrodden time. It was very hard on them. They had to move away from their parents, everyone and every, you know, everyone they loved and every place they knew. And they were with a strange person. Long story short, they ended up going into this unknown land. When they went into this land, everybody in that land knew who they were and knew their value and knew their worth, except them. And when they walked in, people would bow. The the creatures would bow to them. And even the witch that was in there acted tough. She acted real strong and like she was something, but she was terrified. Just like the enemy, the devil is terrified. He acts like he's tough. He acts like he's trying to be stronger and more powerful than you, but he's not. And the greatest fear of the witch was for those kids to never know who they really were and what was in their hand. And once they got their weapons and they learned how to use them, how many of you know that practice makes perfect in the things that God gives us, and there are safe places to do that? So stretch yourself. Just like Pastor Steve or Pastor Joel said, he said, when you're here, take one step out in faith to do something you would never do before. Trust God. Give him that little that's in your hand. Trust him to stretch a little more. And when they do that, when those kids do that, they became invincible, or almost. So when they got out there and they started whooping all of the demons that were in the field, they came across one of them, and then they came to the, to the, um, the witch, and when they started fighting her, they almost lost. They started to get defeated. But guess who came from behind and knocked away the witch? The Lion of Judah. 
The Lion of Judah came in at the last minute and said, no, 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 no. You may think that you're more powerful, but I've got your back. God has your back. The Lion of Judah has your back. So even when you take the weapons in your hand and you take the knowledge of who you are and you defeat all the demons and you come against the devil and the devil seems like he's whooping your butt, I want you to stop and I want you to listen and I want you to hear the rattling of the ground because the Lion of Judah is coming. Are you following me, church? The Lion of Judah never sent you out by yourself. He said, I am there for you, but I believe in you. And I know you can do it yourself. And when you start needing some help, I got your back. Because I'm here. The enemy, this is, uh, again, John Crowder. He says, the enemy shivers at the thought of what access we have to God's power. We will do anything, uh, he will do anything to keep us from picking it up. But as the church begins to step into the power we have as Christians, we will never again be on the defense against the enemy. Church, we need to be excited about this. We will always be plundering hell whose gates will not prevail against us. As we press into divine encounters and begin to perform miracles, the works of the kingdom will excel, accelerate by leaps and bounds. And guess who wins? I don't know about you, but I've read this from beginning to end. Guess who wins? Now, we need to start acting like we have won already. And we need to believe that God is not sending us out to something that we are defeated on. He's sending us out to something he knows we've already won. But I'm going to tell you something now. The greatest challenge will be not knowing or believing or accepting who you are. Shake it off, church. God does not make junk. Are you following me? No matter what the enemy lies to you about, he's lying, he's lying, he's lying. Know this, anything that is not of love, empowerment, encouragement, any of those things, anything that is of the negative that you are feeling, it's not from God. It's really easy. Death is not from God. Sickness is not from God. Depression is not from God. Anxiety is not from God. Defeat is not from God. Negativity is not from God. So it's real easy to detect who is what. Right? It's like the jerseys in a football team. You can tell real clear. Amen? Well, Father, I just thank you, Lord God, that you are empowering us, Father God, to be the believers in end times. Lord, you have taken, and Father, you are ministering to our hearts and to our souls. And Father, you're washing away the very things of yesterday. And Father God, I thank you that this is a season and time that we will arise with the King of Judah. We will arise, Father God, with crowns in our heads. We will arise with the sword in our hand. We will arise, Father God, to defeat the power 
powers of darkness. Father God, I thank you that this is a season and time that we will love greater than Father hate. We will shine our lights brighter than darkness. And Father God, I thank you we will be seen, we will be known. And Father, the powers of darkness will start to crumble under the powers of light. And Father, I just thank you that, Lord God, you are ministering to each individual in here today, Lord God. You're ministering to their hearts and to their souls. And Father God, I thank you are even going into the dark areas, Lord God. And you're bringing those aha moments, Lord God, of revelation, Father God, of the things of the past, the words that have been said. Father, even picking out those, uh, those specific words that have been spoken over us to break them off. And even the deeds that have been done. Father, we just thank you that you're breaking that off now in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord God. Father, we just thank you for your blessing these people. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. All right. Well, I, um, I have a piece to stop. Um, yeah, so if, because uh, I was going to minister, but I don't have a piece right now to do that. So um, if the healing team could come up. And uh, what we do in this church is we bring, uh, we have people that have been trained uh, to pray for um, anything, <laughs> but, but even for sickness or for anything else you may be facing. Um, and we have what we call words of knowledge. So the Bible talks about words of knowledge and words of wisdom. Um, and these words of knowledge is what God will drop into people um, to be able to um, speak it out. And if it's you, that's God saying, I want to, I want to minister to you today. Um, it's his way of personalizing. Isn't God awesome? He's so cool. So, Loretta? I'm getting a shoulder again that needs prayer and healing. Um, the other thing, I felt a pressure across the chest, and I felt that it was associated with stress, and God wants to take that away. Um, I don't have physical, but the message that Tracy ministered to I feel like if you need some encouragement or courage released to you, that God wants to do that just for you because he wants you strong, brave, and courageous.